Welcome to The Markitect, a podcast series where leadership and product marketing intersect. The Markitect is for and about the world's best product marketing leaders and the chief marketing officers that own the function. Today, my guest co-host is a wonderful marketing leader from Closed, Trenton. Hey there, Trenton. Um, We have the absolute pleasure of interviewing two of the most respected CMOs in SaaS and uh, two of the most respected uh, Canadian marketing executives. Uh, So they're going to share with us how they build, manage, interlock, and measure their product marketing teams. And by course of doing that, how these teams help their organizations, Vidyard and Ada, respectively, to win. So now it's my pleasure to introduce you to Ruth, Tyler, and my guest co-host, Trenton. Hey, folks. Hey. Thanks for joining, Hey. Yeah, happy to be here. (laughs) Great to be here as well. Thanks for having us, Rowan. Uh, longtime admirers of, um, of uh, you know, being a fellow Canadian, uh, I've, I've followed uh, the careers of Ruth and Tyler for quite some time now, and it's it's just absolutely magical what they've done with their organizations, which is nothing short of just winning, um, and they're doing that currently in their existing uh, companies. So it's it's my absolute pleasure to host you both and Trent, a uh, good friend from Closed, who leads win loss analysis they just help companies better understand how to win and how to do less of the of the losing trend as always a pleasure to have you back on the show yeah thanks for having me on i'm super excited to hear from tyler and ruth on these topics it's gonna be great all right well then let's get to it but before we get to the questions a a little fill in the blanks if you will let's start with ruth and then tyler the first one is ruth i am in marketing because yeah, <laughs> that's tricky because I kind of stumbled into marketing. It wasn't intentional necessarily, but I would say I'm in marketing because I really love the mix of art and science. And there's something new on you know on both fronts every single day that I get to learn from. That's what really keeps me in this in this field. The mix of art and science. I love that. And uh, and Tyler. You're in marketing because? I am in marketing because I love to create and connect with people. And it's something that didn't drive me into marketing in the first place, but it is what has really filled out my passion for it, is the opportunity to let those creative instincts really come to life and to find ways to genuinely connect with audiences. And and that's what really gets me going every day. Brilliant. Creating and connecting with people. Love it. Trent, why are you in marketing? Those are great answers, Ruth. I'm an accidental stumbler into marketing as well. Um, I love creating Tyler. I thought I was going to be an architect. And from my perception, it didn't pay well enough. And it wasn't actually as creative (laughs) or as fun as marketing seemed. So I made the jump uh, as soon as I could. Love it, Trent. So you're like uh, George Costanza. He always dreamed of being an architect. Um, And did you always dream of being a marine biologist as well? Or, (laughs) Yep, I'm exactly like George Costanza. (laughs) (laughs) All right, second film of blank. My definition of leadership is, Ruth? 
I think the primary responsibility of a leader is to um, inspire high performing teams to have meaningful and measurable impact. For me, it's very much about the teams that we build as leaders. Beautiful. And that's a reflection of your leadership. I love that. Uh, Tyler, your definition of leadership? Uh, it's a plus one on Ruth's definition, uh, because mine is is very similar in that it's transforming talent into outcomes. Mm, and that's another that. way of of really saying getting getting the most out of the people around you and uh, driving those into the outcomes that you're you're trying to achieve as a business. Oof. Transforming talent into outcomes. I oh wow, we're on a run here. Trent, I, I know firsthand that folks like Bailey uh, adore you as a leader. So your definition of leadership is, what are you doing right? So my definition, and I tell my team, this may sound cheesy, but it's my motto as a manager, it's to enable growth within my sphere of influence. So I want to identify what growth looks like to them and do everything in my power to help them get there. Enable growth within your sphere of influence. Wow. Uh, these are these are fantastic. I, I, I love these mottos. All right. So with that, let's tackle the art and science, Ruth, if you will, off product marketing. But let's let, let's start with the basics, Ruth, uh, and then Tyler. What's the role of product marketing in your respective companies? Yeah, that's such a good question. One that's sort of difficult to answer because I often say that product marketing is a role that influences and touches everything, but independently owns almost nothing. Um, so it's it's always a little bit tricky to answer that question. Uh, but I think that that product marketing is responsible for for two things high level. One is understanding the market and the market opportunity, and then bringing new product to market in a way that exploits that opportunity. That's sort of how I think about it. Brilliant. Love it. Um, Tyler, what's your definition of product marketing? How does your product marketing, what does your product marketing team do at, uh, at Video? Yeah. So in a general sense, I, I'm a big believer that product marketing is all about the intersection of product the market and the customer. And by really, I mean, the role, frankly, is to understand each of these areas as deeply as possible, as richly as possible, the product, the market, and the customer, and to ultimately help drive go-to-market strategies um, that come out of that, which include, of course, I, I, I'm a big fan of the WIN uh, framework. Um, so for me, the outputs of the product plus market plus customer uh, intersection is your ICP, your ideal customer profile. Who are you targeting? Um, your positioning, uh, which largely is a representation of the impact um, that you can have in the market. Um, your messaging, which then comes out and is sort of a fleshing out from your core positioning. And that really becomes your narrative in the market. So those are kind of the, you know, align very well to the WIN framework. But I also have one more. And so I actually would call it either winnow or wino, depending on what you want to use, <laughs> which is the final O, which is the offer, the packaging and pricing. What are we offering to the market to, to Ruth's point um, based on, you know, what we know about our ideal customer, our positioning, our messaging, the competitive uh, situation, and also the sort of macroeconomic situation that's happening. 
And there you have it. Tyler thinks product marketers are winos. Okay. All right. <laughs> On that lovely note. No, but I, I get it. Tyler, uh, the offer and packaging is crucial uh, and something that uh, product marketing should either own or be uh, a, a key, a key Absolutely. into. Um, and, and tell us, just stay with you for a quick second. I know Vidyard has a, um, a sales motion, but also a PLG motion. Mm. Does your definition of product marketing change for those companies that are sales-led versus PLG-led? Yeah, you know, this has been the most fascinating part of my recent career was uh, we started as an enterprise top-down go-to-market model, and, and we absolutely still have that as a big part of our business. But we also introduced a product-led growth or, or PLG or freemium motion into the market about uh, three years ago now that we really started to take it seriously. And so I've been learning on the job, frankly, about how different the product-led growth motion is versus the traditional enterprise marketing and sales. And, and what I've learned is the, the fundamentals of product marketing consistent, right? Whether you're PLG, whether you're enterprise, the fundamentals of what product marketing needs to understand, what they need to do, um, doesn't change materially. Um, what does change, uh, you know, and is no surprise, is the execution, where you prioritize your time, the teams that you collaborate with cross-functionally, those are different uh, in some ways. And a really quick example are product marketers who focus on our enterprise offerings, work much more closely with our sales and CX teams, looking at win-loss records, um, you know, doing customer interviews, listening to calls, things like that. Whereas our product marketers who lean more towards our product-led growth motion tend to spend a lot more time with the product team, with the growth team, and in more of a day-to-day -day kind of conversion rate optimization mindset of, you know, how do we tweak, how do we test things to really learn at scale what's working. So some of the execution ends up being different, but the fundamentals are the same. I love it. And, you know, we just had Sean, the head of product marketing at Atlassian on the show, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he he talked exactly to to what you said. He talked about these uh, dual mode product marketers, and uh, we um, playfully call them the pink unicorns uh, of um, <laughs> of the product marketing world. But there's going to be more and more importance on product marketers really understanding both motions, sales led and product led. Um, and, and, and what it takes to succeed, uh, you know, your key interlock, as you mentioned, is product management for, um, mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the PLG led motion and, uh, the sales, sales success enablement folks for sales led motions along with demand gen. So it's that dual mode is, is happening and it's here to stay. Um, and you're fortunate enough to have both those in your organization. So wonderful on that note, and I don't want to make an assumption here. Where does product marketing reside in both your organizations, uh, Ruth, and, and why? Uh, like, I, I've seen it sit in various functions, but where does it reside for you, Ruth, and why? Yeah, at Ada, product marketing sits inside of marketing and ultimately rolls up to me as the CMO. Um, I've also seen it sit different places, but I personally think it makes the most sense to live inside of marketing. You know, I, what product marketing does informs how we message and position in the market. Um, and that touches all of our marketing investments um, in, in really sort of foundational ways. The, the product marketers are ultimately the storytellers. And so from my perspective, 
you know, they're, they're most naturally suited to sit inside of marketing. Makes sense. I'd love to hear an argument, a compelling argument about why they shouldn't, but I, I'm, I suspect you won't hear that today on this podcast, <laughs> considering, you know, where we all sit. <laughs> Tyler? Well, actually, uh, in our organization, product marketing sits in finance. No, you're joking. <laughs> okay, I am joking. I am joking. Uh, right within the, the the heat of the marketing team, and and much like yours, Ruth, our uh, our head of product marketing reports directly to marketing leadership, and uh, they are absolutely a foundational group that is tightly interlocked with all of the other marketing functions. But uh, again, very close to the other teams. So, yep, square in the middle of marketing with a very tight uh, connection into product and sales. Yeah. Love it. And Ruth, to your point, maybe a different podcast. I, I can uh, play devil's advocate. I, I do believe it should report to, to the CMO. But when you think of where product marketing sits, you know, think of the number eight. You have two loops. The top loop are the people who build in an organization. And the bottom loop are the people who sell. Product marketing is that pin, right? That keeps those two loops together, right in the middle there. And so we help provide the insight for what to build to product and then we also take that goodness, uh, the actual offering, and then we bring it down and enable the marketing, sales, customer success, support for functions that all help sell. Uh, so to that end, sitting under the CMO is one step closer to the, the pipe and the revenue numbers. And so that, that's for that accountability perspective. That's why I like product marketing sitting under the, uh, the CMO. Um, so no, no devil's advocate here, but I've had people say to me, uh, and I'll, I'll tell you why uh, they should be sitting in the top loop, closer to the top loop, which is those who build. Uh, so, but that's a different show, different show. And I've been hogging all the questions here, Trent. Sorry, uh, anything on your end? <laughs> yeah. So, as a leader of marketing right now with a uh, smaller team, I'm actively building this team, and I'm trying to understand what's the best motion to do that. So, I would love to hear. You guys kind of help me understand what are your product marketing teams respectively look like? How are things divided up among those various teams and what sub functions are they running? Uh, can you both just kind of walk me through the current structure of your PMM org? Sure, I, I can go. Um, so so it's worth noting that at Ada, product, the product marketing team is still evolving. It's a team of about seven people currently. Um, and, and they're organized in a bit of an interesting way. There's, there's a small group of two who are focused on just pricing and packaging. I know that was mentioned earlier, and we decided to really prioritize that investment. We have a director of pricing and packaging. We see that as a really important growth vector for ADA um, and an opportunity that we want to take full advantage of. So we hired that expertise um, and that specialty, and, and we're seeing some good early returns there. Um, and then I have another director who sort of oversees everything else, and she has a team that's aligned directly to our product organization. Um, I won't say that uh, they're, you know, they're, they're uh, completely straight lines. Uh, there's a little bit of ambiguity because our product team isn't divided by like feature set necessarily, but there's good alignment between that team and the product org. I think we're also starting to think about a, a, a vertical orientation. So do we want to assign responsibilities on the product marketing team by industry? Because uh, our, our software 
has uh, real vertical consideration and, and, and customization. And so there's some consideration of that going forward, which is, I would imagine, a way that we would uh, grow in the coming year or so. And, and before we go to Tyler, um, Ruth, just staying with you for a quick second. Sure. Where does content marketing sit? Uh, does it sit under the product? Yeah. So, so at Ada it does not, I have a brand team uh, and that team um, is comprised mostly of writers and designers and the writers work very closely with product marketing. Um, there's been some debate, should content sit inside of product marketing? Should it be on the brand team? Um, I think that the more product oriented the content, you know, if we're writing a data sheet about a new product that we're launching, um, then the greater the dependency on product marketing. So uh, I could imagine that um, in the coming year, we would hire a writer to sit on that team with much more of like a, a product specific orientation. But today, the product marketing team provides the briefs and the context for those writers to spin up the assets that they're working on. Thank you. But I've seen, I definitely have seen writers sit inside of product marketing. I know that's a, that's a common way to build to, that's a common function on the team. Sorry, didn't mean to derail us. Tyler? <laughs> no, not, not, not at all. Um, so it, similar, you know, we've actually seen our, uh, you know, product marketing functions and roles evolve quite a bit over the years. And I think, you know, a big learning of mine, and, and then I would pass to the listeners as well is, is that there is no one way to structure a product marketing team or roles and responsibilities. You do have to be conscious of what are the priorities in your business? How are you evolving? What's happening in the market and, and adapt to it somewhat. Um, so for example, in, in recent years, as we were introducing um, a new core target audience into our mix, we launched a new product for, you know, originally we were targeting marketers, marketing leaders and different functions. And then we were launching solutions for sales teams. And we had to get the organization almost over index on understanding that new role, that new I ICP. And so we had a dedicated um, product marketer focused on that sales audience. And so they were not directly aligned with product or the sales team, but they were directly aligned to an audience type because we had a lot of work to do on that and really figure it out. But then as time moved on, as we figured out all the foundational pieces for that and it became a core part, now our product marketing team, much like Ruth's, is aligned to the product team. Um, and in that for us, there becomes um, sort of a loose alignment with PLG versus enterprise because our product team uh, has alignment that way. And there is sort of secondary alignment with audience types um, that sort of make sense based on who those products are geared towards. And then there's sort of a, almost like a tertiary kind of dotted line alignment, then back to the marketing, broader marketing functions, uh, where again, some of the, you know, based on their primary alignment, those focused, for example, on PLG, because that aligns with product, those people internally with marketing will work more with the growth team and the ad team and, and programs that are targeting that audience. So starts with alignment with product, and then there's some dotted lines with other teams based on how does their specialty trickle down from that primary alignment with product? Awesome, thank you. And just for more context for my mind, how big are both of your overall marketing teams? On my side, um, we have a marketing team overall of about 20, just north of 20 people. And our mm -hmm. product marketing team is three core, um, and we have a writer that is 
sits in the content team, but is works quite a bit on sort of an extension to the product marketing team. So I kind of think of it as three and a half as part of the product marketing team of a team of just north of 20. Awesome. And Ruth, what about you? So the marketing team at Ada is about 80 people, but it, it's a little bit, um, it, it's not typical because the SDR and BDR teams sit inside of marketing mm -hmm. and they probably account for mm -hmm. half of the team. So, you know, I would say 40 folks who are not SDRs or BDRs, and uh, I think seven of them are in product marketing. Gotcha. As soon as you said 80, I was like, SDRs report through marketing and that. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> awesome. And then, you know, I'm curious how you're both thinking about what roles the product marketing team needs um, as you continue to scale and how you'll ensure the org continues to be perceived as an architect of growth versus a cost center, which is kind of always a, a tricky balance with marketing, right? Throughout your next phase of growth. Tyler, do you want to start with that one? Yeah, I, I think one of the big things to sort of draft off to the last part of your question is that product marketing, you know, I really encourage all of you to think of how to make product marketing as proactive a function as possible. And, and what I mean by that is product marketing and having to understand the market, the customer, and the product you know, there are obvious things you're going to do with the product team to make sure you're, you know, getting ahead of what's coming, what does the roadmap look like, and so on. But I think it's so important to be continuously curious, to be in continuous discovery mode with the customer community, with the broader market, and proactively seeking out new ideas, new insights that you can bring back to both the sales team, to the product team, and of course, to the core marketing team that can impact how it is that they're messaging, how it is that we're packaging products and, uh, and to be intentional about that. I know, or I suspect a lot of folks in product marketing can get a little bit into reactive mode where it's just kind of you know, mm -hmm. dealing with the day-to-day -day and then only going off and doing proactive research when you know, it feels like it's necessary to do so. So I really encourage you to think about how do you carve off time to be doing proactive research, insights, and intelligence collection. It's not always going to result in something new you're going to bring back. That's part and parcel of doing research, but being smart about that. And that's when I think you start to become, you know, a really a part of the engine when you're proactively bringing new ideas, new insights, new findings, and teams really start to respect that um, as opposed to just sitting back and waiting for them to ask you something. That's yeah. great. Ruth, what are your thoughts? I, I think what Tyler said is so important, and and I do think that um, it's a, a risk inside of product marketing that that you build a reactive muscle because everybody is always asking you to help put out fires, to help jump in, you know, sort of ad hoc, last minute. Uh, so so I I think that's great guidance that he's shared. Um, along those same lines, you know, I'm always pressing my team, my product marketing team, to think about what they can measure. Um, you know, product marketing is a little bit trickier than some of the other digital marketing functions that are so clearly measurable. Um, but there are things that you can measure inside of product marketing as well. Things like competitive win rates mm -hmm. and uh, mm -hmm. you know, deal cycle length or deal, deal value or, or even things like adoption and usage. And I think that the more that you can tie your product marketing investments to those measurable outcomes, 
um, the clearer the case that this is, you know, a, a growth center, um, something that's impacting top line revenue outcomes. Uh, so I'm always pressing the team to think about what and how they can measure the impact of their work. It's such an important point, Ruth, and uh, it's something yeah that that at Vidyard we we think about as well. And you know, in that vein is is also then being back to the theme of being proactive of you know pushing the team to think about how can you help to contribute to these uh, cross functional goals, if you right. will, because you're absolutely right. It's uh, when I was thinking about from a metrics perspective. Most of, if not all of product marketing's exclusive um, goals are qualitative. Right. Um, totally. The ones that are quantitative are very cross-functional, right? And so yeah. they are things like win rates and pipeline and, uh, you know, performance yes. of, of SEO and such. Um, but there are, are a lot of things that when you really push the team to think proactively about what could you do to help us increase our close rate by 1% right this year? Or how mm -hmm. could you help? Um, you know, the sales team lose less deals to this competitor right. and, you know, actually coming up with action plans. And it's, it's impossible to say, well, you know, they're hundred percent responsible for those wins, but you can, if you do start to see those movements based on inputs they put in, um, you can, you can correlate that and say, yep, last quarter, we did these things this next quarter, we saw that lift, you know, there, there's a good way to be able to say that was a big win for the team. And, um, you know, having your team really be active on that. I love it. That's awesome. You actually went right into my next question and covered it perfectly. I was going to dive a little deeper and understand what metrics you use to define your team's success. And it, and I just wanted to share one uh, that my content lead and I have kind of been tracking the last quarter, which has been really cool. Uh, so as Rowan mentioned, we do win-loss analysis for other companies, but we're also very, very skilled at doing ourselves and at scale. So we have a lot of data around how does marketing content specifically drive or influence deal outcomes? So one of our content goals, and we have a scored metric on this that our uh, interviewing team does in-house uh, with an algorithm and everything behind it. But, and I'm not trying to plug too much. I'm just trying to give you a little bit of context behind this goal. So my content lead has a goal where in these buyer interviews on our one and lost deals, we want to see that uh, trend up towards more of a positive influence on deal outcomes. So that would mean in these interviews, the buyers would start mentioning, oh, mm -hmm. I saw or read this blog post, or we heard this podcast, or we went to this event, or, or we saw this webinar, et cetera. And he could start to track and see, which is also really cool for him, the exact way he's influencing deal outcomes instead of just being a content churning machine that he is he now actually can kind of measure the impact he's having on the org. I, I love talking about metrics. Um, is there any other ones maybe you guys felt like you kind of just breezed over that you'd like to describe a little bit more about how you measure your team's success? Well, I, I would just say that top line, my entire team feels very, very accountable to pipeline. At the end of the day, all of marketing is servicing sales, and we all want to be able to point to a pipeline or you know revenue outcome that reassures us that we've delivered them the healthy coverage that they need to hit their numbers. So you know you can double click on that and break it down in lots of different ways, and and I think we've shared some really great examples. But I think it's important to have the whole marketing team and product marketing included sort of rallied behind that top line metric. And Trent, first of all, I love that your uh, your your content lead is now more than just scoring content consumption, which a lot of people do, mm -hmm. but now aligning content consumption to actual 
win loss, like how many deals are we closing? That's that's absolutely brilliant. I'll just add to that measure part. Uh, I always encourage the product marketing teams to break those uh, metrics into two two camps. One is more strategic lagging, and and the other is more of a tactical. Uh, you, you can track it on a weekly, monthly, quarterly basis. And so on the tactical camp, it's the win rate that you folks talked about, win rate by competitor, deal velocity, like average deal size. Are, are we actually talking the narratives that we're creating? Are we are we selling solutions or one-off products? Are we bundling? Are we increasing that deal size? Uh, pipeline health, content consumption, as you as you you know mentioned, customer references, advocacy. Those are the in the tactical camp, but those are things that we can really drive the needle, and we can iterate our efforts by monitoring that uh, short term. And then there's the strategic longer term lagging, which is are people actually adopting the product? our product revenue by portfolio or for an individual product, uh, just retention, expansion. So break it into two camps rather than uh, hang your hat on one set of uh, metrics. And that also helps you set expectations with your 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 boss, whether that's the CMO or, or someone else. So that's just my two cents there. Uh, let's, if you don't mind, let's just switch the conversation now to we talked about how you build the teams, how you manage the teams, how you measure the teams. Let's get into how these teams are helping your organization's position to win. And so, uh, Tyler, you alluded to the framework uh, at, at, the, at the top of this, which was product marketers for me. Really, their job is to help companies position to win. And win is an acronym. The W is who are you going to win with? Best fit customers. And who are you going to win against? Your competition. And product marketing needs to understand both very, very well and disseminate those insights throughout the organization. The I in win is impact. And so it's not enough to know the value that your product and or organization offers. What is the actual impact of that value that you can quantify so that your customer really gets a sense of how it's going to affect them and their jobs to be done. And then the final N in win is, is the narrative. Like you have to craft, this is the Steve Jobs part of it, where you have to craft that internal and external story that really resonates with your audience, uh, which is crucial. Uh, so to that end, Tyler, let's let's start with your 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 organization. How is your team determining who to win with best fit customers and who to win against your your competitors? Well, it, it's absolutely a, a confluence of forces that come together for uh, identifying both of those. There's you know some obvious elements I think for most of us. There is um, you know formal research that is done. There's surveying. Uh, within and outside of our existing customer base um, to both sort of understand how are our existing customers thinking about us, where are they seeing um, opportunities and uh, what competitors are they seeing in the market? But then of course, uh, doing focus groups outside of that to better understand what folks were, were not servicing or those that we've lost opportunities to, um, to, uh, to, to understand why that might be. Um, there's also, you know, very close alignment with the sales and customer experience teams to, you know, create these open loops of feedback. Uh, we're constantly taking those in as we are obviously looking at win-loss analysis, listening to calls and such. But we're also sourcing, you know, best fit customer opportunities from things like, you know, case studies and some of our best 
um, customers that are, are seeing the highest adoption. Um, very recently, we had an example of this where we almost happened upon a really great story from one of our customers who they started using Vidyard in their sales team, which is our primary audience. And uh, But then they shared how their customer success team um, has seen even more value from Vidyard in using us as a video messaging tool to communicate with their clients as opposed to just prospects. And we've never focused on customer success as a best fit customer. And so that, of course, then spurred the product marketing team to raise their hand and say, I'd love to talk a lot more to this customer and, and peel back this onion. And so that sort of put us then into research mode with that existing um, client to better understand this new use case, what were they doing, what results were they seeing, and start to weave that back in. You know, that wouldn't have come from just general research. It came from partnering with the CX team and finding clients who were self-discovering new use cases and bringing it back. So lots of different ways in which these things can uh, can happen. I'm, I'm sure there's only two of probably seven or eight different methods that our teams use. Brilliant. Uh, Ruth? Yeah, I, you know, I think that this question about who depends uh, to some extent on the stage and age of your business. Mm. So early on, early on at Ada, you know, I, I think we didn't want to make a lot of assumptions. And so, you know, anyone who could fog a mirror, frankly, was, was a prospect. Um, and, and I think, you know, the same, the same holds true, especially if you're in a crowded space like Ada, you know, going deep on the competitive landscape can become a rabbit hole and a real distraction. Mm. So I, I think that if you're in early stage, you're almost better suited to focus on what you know is really great and differentiated about your offering and, you know, market to a broader audience and then look for trends. I think, you know, determining the who is really about looking for trends, you know, zeroing in on your ideal customer profile. What are the, what are the common themes that you're seeing across your prospect base or your customer base? So one of the things we discovered at Ada, for instance, a couple, maybe a year or two into my tenure was that digital industries um, were really a sweet spot for us. So industries like e-commerce and fintech and SaaS, and, and we decided to really concentrate a lot of our marketing effort inside of those industries. Um, I don't think we would have necessarily made that assumption you know, we, we wouldn't have been able to, to draw that conclusion right out of the gate. We needed to go through enough cycles to really draw the data and analyze those common themes. Um, and then in terms of the competitive landscape, you know, it's tricky, like who you win against depends on your, your market and where you're playing and how crowded it is. I think it's really important to understand why you're different and better and why you're winning. And again, to do, to do that analysis carefully. But I would also caution against making too many decisions as a reaction to that competitive landscape, because I, I think that's not always wise. So to be mindful of the competition, um, to, to build a case about your differentiated value with that in mind, but not to go down that rabbit hole too deeply uh, where it's informing all of your strategic decision-making. Oh, I absolutely love that because yeah, you're right. It, it really does depend on the stage um, that you're at maturity-wise as an organization um, and how focused or not you are. Uh, you could spend all your time uh, really trying to understand the the competitors across uh, a, a, a breadth of the value chain that could be your competitor. So uh, that that's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Ruth, let's let's stay with you for just one more minute. Um, so once once you have 
once you are moved away from the uh what'd you say the people that fog up glass just anybody and you've dialed <laughs> in your audience i love that by the way how, how once you've dialed in that audience how does your team not only determine the value you offer but the impact of that value yeah i mean the the ultimate is to get to a place where you have measurable ROI, where you can really connect the dots for your prospect in a sales cycle about what that value and impact is going to look like and in a credible way, represent the math so that they can see that um, in, a, in a tangible sense. Um, because we all market things like, I think every marketer in the SaaS world talks about things like, you know, cost savings and revenue generation and satisfaction. And, you know, th those are all kind of buzzwords, but you have to be able to crystallize that into something real. So zeroing in on what that ROI is, and then in a best case scenario, representing that inside of your product. So it's not ambiguous um, and it's, it's accessible uh, in real time, ideally to your prospect and customer. I think that's, that's the gold. If you can do that, it makes all of those discussions so much easier. And then if that's differentiated from what's already out there, either because it's better or it's a, a measure that other vendors aren't able to achieve, then you've got a real edge. Yeah, that's awesome. That's great. Tyler, anything to add to that? The only thing I would, would build on is product marketing can play back to this idea of a, of, a, of, a, of a proactive role in helping to get the product team to understand this is the kind of impact we are messaging to the market or would like to message to the market because we believe this is where we can differentiate. And to Ruth's point then, what could we do in the product to help us either get our customers to that or to prove it to them. Because I totally agree that the real gold mine is when you can not only help them achieve a certain result or impact, but you can show it in the product itself through your own analytics. Yep. And so be mindful of that, You know, dig in with the product team and make sure they understand the kinds of benefits and impacts you're trying to preach in the market and get creative in you know, thinking about well, what could we do in the product to make it, you know, absolutely clear to people that they are seeing this impact um, because that will feed then back into all of your new case studies and, you know, it becomes a very virtuous cycle. So, um, you know, don't just sit back and say, well, we can't prove it. So, you know, what am I going to do? Um, do something about it. Work with the product team and make sure they're aligned <laughs> to those impact outcomes in the product as much as you are from a messaging standpoint. That's excellent. That's excellent. And Tyler, um, you know, finally, with that impact and value in hand that we've just talked about, talk to me a little bit about how how does your team convey this in narrative form? Like, what's Vidyard's approach to storytelling, both internally and externally? Like, how do you get this value and uh, conveyed to your audiences? I think that there's lots of little micro things that we do on a consistent basis, but I think the biggest thing at the end of the day is just really representing the voice of the customer, both internally and externally in the market and um, being very prescriptive and, and sensitive to that, right? When you're talking either internally or externally back around this idea of, hey, we help, we've helped people do this and it's very vague, um, the credibility just isn't there. And so the more that you can be a representative of your real customers, have real empathy for what problems they're really solving and their stories and bring those to life, 
those are the best ones, you know, of course, externally, but also internally, right? We have, uh, we have a weekly executive update that goes around our, our you know, executive team uh, every Friday, records about a 10 minute video, walking through different updates from across the business, shares it around to everyone to watch. And, um, you know, every two weeks or so, they include a story about a customer. And it's usually our CEO who's telling that story. And you can just like feel his pride when he talks about it and the results that they've seen. And we get so much great feedback on that of people like, oh, I loved that story. So that's my biggest advice is always do it through the lens of your customers. Be the voice of your customer, both externally and internally. And those are the stories that are always going to be most impactful. And Ruth, Ada just went through a fairly recent rebrand, which looked great. And uh, talk to us kind of in that vein, like what was your, what's your approach to narrative and how do you convey that value as well? Yeah, thank you. Um, we're, we're pretty proud of our brand um, and how we've represented it in market. Our, our approach to the stories that we tell and the way that we position and the way that we look even uh, with this recent initiative was to, um, we wanted to cut through the noise. We wanted to be really assertive and opinionated in a way that was going to stand out. We, you know, I mentioned we're in a, an extremely crowded space. Um, and this is one of those cases where we did do um, a fairly thoughtful uh, audit of the competitive landscape to really understand what are other vendors saying, how are they saying it, what's their point of view, how do they look and feel, and we wanted to be different. We feel that we 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 do have a different point of view, and we wanted to really bring that to life. Um, now that said, we also wanted to be able to use words and tell stories that were a little bit familiar, but we anchored on a top line message that we felt was opinionated and a bit provocative. This idea that, you know, th that uh, your brand equity is breaking down at the point of interaction. Um, we, I think that's something that's very resonant, especially now as companies come to understand that customer service, customer experience is critical. So uh, that's sort of how we considered our, our brand and how we wanted to position a message in the market. That's, that's great. I love that approach. Um, we see that all the time in our win-loss analysis reviews of customers that those initial impressions of the brand really drive like the rest of the deal home in a lot of cases. Um, so I think that's a great place to position yourselves. All right, folks, we are at the tail end of this lovely chat. Uh, I'm going to leave with a couple of questions. I'll start with Trent. You know, closed, you guys facilitate thousands of um, win-loss interviews. What's the common theme that you keep hearing or seeing as to why SaaS companies are, are winning and or losing, if you'd like to share? Yeah, there's... There's a lot of them, um, and but the two that I really love. One of them I love because it's so hits so hard with me being a marketing leader and being in marketing, and and that one's kind of what I just alluded to with Ruth is how brand strength and reputation really does drive deal outcomes. Um, and I, you hear a lot of debate nowadays about uh, marketing attribution and which channels should we be on TikTok or Facebook or LinkedIn, et cetera. And, all these debates about lead conversion and lead pipeline, lead gen, you know, it, I could go on and on and on. Um, but what I, what I kind of gets lost in all that noise is, and I used to do this too. I used to focus way too much on top of funnel and leads, 
And I don't think enough marketers are, are really thinking through uh, in a very detailed way about just establishing their brand strength and reputation in a way that actually helps them win and doing um, marketing campaigns with the end goal of winning, not with the uh, initial goal, of let's just drive thousands of leads that have a very close, like very, very, very low win rate. Um, so that one comes up a lot, the brand strength and reputation playing into the deal outcome. Um, another one is, and I love that um, you both kind of have a focus on pricing and packaging, Ruth. It sounded like you even have a, a dedicated team of product marketers doing that. Yeah, And that, that one comes up so much, like pricing and packaging in general. Uh, is it too confusing? Um, does it feel like it, it's, uh, I, I call it pricing market fit. Like there's this product market fit that people talk about. Does the product actually solve the buyer's problem? But I like to think of this other piece of that called pricing market fit where cool, like the product solves their problem, but does the pricing model actually fit your buyer as well? Um, so some of those things we've seen are like companies that sell to SMB, uh, kind of mom pop stores and things like that. They're selling a SaaS, maybe it's a point of sale solution to these, these smaller stores who are like living and breathing on cash flow. And if they don't have enough cash flow, they're not going to be able to pay their employees that month, right? And these companies will try to put in these strict contract terms or pricing models that are based on annual contracts because they're getting pressure from their VCs to be SaaS and to have an annual contract motion. And in the meantime, they're kind of like starving their prime buyers because those guys don't have cash outlays to do a full annual contract and they need to be month to month and they need to pay on like more flexible terms. So things like that and pricing and packaging is so nuanced and it's fascinating to kind of go dive deep into these reasons and, and understand them. Uh, wow. I suppose there's just a few quick shares, Rowan. I love it. And Ruth is probably gushing. She's probably going to get off this uh, <laughs> call and go to her CEO and say, this is why I invested in the rebrand. And this is why yeah, exactly. I hired two people for there pricing and packaging. There you go. Yeah, exactly. 100%. <laughs> love that. Love that. Uh, Ruth Tyler, to close it out, if you can share your thoughts on how product marketers should approach their craft so that they are perceived as mark architects of growth, AKA architects versus yet another cost center. What's your advice to product marketers? I'll say two quick things. One is think about what you can measure. The more that product marketers are able to tie their work to measurable outcomes, the more credible their impact. And number two is learn to say no. I think product marketers more than anyone across marketing, um, you know, especially in fast growing SaaS startup environments, you know, they tend to say yes to everything. And I think product marketers will be perceived as architects when they are impacting the highest value initiatives. So really taking the time to think about uh, how you can better focus to do that. Fantastic. And Ruth, I know you're looking for a VP of product marketing. And so whoever's listening here, please do yourself a favor and go work for this wonderful A human being and B hip oh, top marketer. And she gives you full approval to say no to her. At there times. you go. <laughs> Tyler, what's your advice to product marketers? Uh, well, chef's kiss to, to Ruth's uh, answer. 
uh, the one thing I will add is to seek out new opportunities to impact the business. Stay close to your sales and your product teams um, in, in addition to finding ways to measure impact. Um, think about creatively new places you can have impact and grab it by the horns and go for it. Um, you, you, you'd be surprised sometimes when you talk to people and you find areas that you know you really can help with. Uh, don't be shy to also say yes to those opportunities while saying no to all the other asks that are coming in. Oh, absolutely love it. On that note, Ruth, Trent, Tyler, based on the insights you've graciously shared with our product marketing community today, uh, your organizations are absolutely lucky to have you at the helm. Uh, thanks again for lending us your time and insights. I truly appreciate it. Have a good one. Thanks, Rowan. Thank you.